Well, good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. It's good to see everybody today. We're so glad that you're here. We're glad to have some visitors and people back uh, from the past, as well as some first-timers, potentially. We're so glad you're here. We mean it when we put the sign on the door that says, all are welcome. Only check a couple of suspicious IDs. Uh, not many at all. But uh, we're glad you're here. Happy Easter. We don't make a particular uh, special holiday religiously out of Easter. It is almost certainly the actual day on the calendar, if you will, or the event on the calendar where Jesus was raised nearly 2,000 years ago. But we celebrate that resurrection each and every Sunday. That's why Christians gather together to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for us. But in particular today, we join the world at large in remembering the resurrection of Jesus some many, many years ago. So thank you for being here. Uh, we've been studying the coat of many colors with this picture of Thurl's bathrobe uh, here on the screen. Uh, we've only got one more uh, week that we'll finish up with this next week. But we've been talking about that coat of many colors and the circumstances behind it was that Jacob had given his young son Joseph a coat of many colors. And this is the approximation we have been using for the coat. You can see it has a whole lot of colors on it. I have no idea at all if any of these colors were on the coat. I don't know if there was orange or yellow or green, but I suspect if it had many colors in it at some point, some of these colors, at least a couple of them, would have been on the coat. And so what we've been doing with that is we've been talking about the mistake Jacob made. He already doted on this young son, Joseph, as the verse says, he was the son of his old age. He was his favorite. That is never a good thing to ever think that way as a parent, much less if you are thinking that way to let somebody else know it. Horrible, horrible mistake. So that led to all sorts of conflict with his other brothers and probably even with his sisters. It was a horrible thing to do and jo Joseph didn't help that out by, by telling people about his dreams where thing things would bow down to him and all sorts of stuff like that. But he gave him this coat of many colors. And so what we've been doing the last few weeks is pretending. I've been pretending that what if Jacob wanted to have the colors mean something to Joseph. So if you're wearing this coat, and you look down at the colors, the colors might bring to mind to Joseph certain ideas that he would think about anytime he saw the colors. Again, the Bible doesn't say Jacob did that at all, but we've been pretending with this as kind of the prop to help us think about it. And if you were outside this morning, all of us walking in saw at least several of the colors we've been talking about. The world's finally starting to turn green. And so we talked about green in the coat representing growth. Things are starting to grow. Grass is growing, leaves on trees are growing. And so green would represent growing closer to God is what I wanted us to think about. So if you see green this week, think about growing closer to God. We do that by talking to God in prayer and by studying his word. So please think about that every time you see green. We've got the lovely yellow sunlight. So welcome today after several of our usual Tennessee days of dreary gray, but we've got yellow sunlight. And so God is light and the sun and light is one of the first things he created. God said, let there be light. 
So let that light of God dwell within us. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if I say that I have fellowship with God, but I hate my brother, we are a liar. There's a lot of hate in the world. A lot of hate in the world. We see it every week, every day. And so when you see yellow, think about God being light and how God's light needs to shine from within me. I need to be God-like when I see yellow. We'd also talked about blue. Blue is a color, surprisingly to me, describing uh, decorations and or ornamental things that were in the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. Blue being a very hard color to get, it, it almost certainly represented the cost of worship. And so blue, thinking about worship, we need to worship God not only when we're here, but with our lives. Everything we do every day needs to be focused on living for God not living for ourselves. Well, the color this morning is the reason I'm actually not going to put this coat on today. The color this morning is in the coat, and the color, as you can see from the handout, it's hardly a surprise, is going to be red. I've got Thurl to bring up another version of that coat. Red. The coat turned out to be a very bad thing for Joseph. His brothers got so, so mad and hateful of him that they faked Joseph's death in order to get rid of Joseph. And the way they did that is they took that coat of many colors and they killed an animal and threw the blood on it, tore the coat a bit and took it to his dad and said, look, a wild animal got your favorite son. They'd actually taken him and sold him into slavery. And so the blood on the coat red. When we think of red, red is a color that ought to be thought of usually thought of as blood. I gave blood sometime in the last week. When they pricked that finger, it's not yellow that comes out, it's red, red for blood. So let's look at that color this morning and see how it ties into the celebration, of course, of Easter. For some, blood is the result of violence toward others. When you look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, that famous passage in the book of Proverbs of the things that God hates, we read, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. And one of those things is hands that shed innocent blood. Blood being red. Proverbs 1, 10 through 18. My son, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let us lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. My son... Do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil, and they are swift to shed blood. These men lie in wait. Look at the twist here at the end. They lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. All the people that we see in the news and hear about who are violent toward other people, the shootings that happen in our town, the people, they may, they may hurt somebody, but they end up hurting themselves. I mean, it's not very often that you'll see some shooting where somebody's injured in our town when the people aren't caught. This person, you know, did this to me, you know, really? And it was worth shooting the person, right? Just as he says here, they lie and wait for their own blood and they ambush only themselves. Do you see another word in there about the people who are sought after by these evil people? 
hands that shed innocent blood. Let's lie in wait for innocent blood. That's because this person they're lying in wait for hasn't done anything to them in any way that would warrant some sort of bloodshed occurring. But let's be realistic too. None of us have innocent blood because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that word is used here, but at a deeper level in our relationship to God, there is no innocence once we are old enough to make our own choices. Red's also associated throughout the Old Testament uh, with blood and sacrifices. Look at the different verses that we're going to see here. This is from Leviticus chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay its hand on its head and slaughter it there before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it into the tent of meeting. He is to dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. So as part of the sacrifices God had his people make in the Old Testament involved the shedding of blood here of a bull. Also in Leviticus 4, a few verses later, verses 24 and 26, he is to lay his hand on the goat's head, this time a goat, and slaughter it at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered before the Lord. It is a sin offering. So these animals were being killed and their blood spilled as an offering to make an atonement for giving of sins. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. He shall burn all the fat on the altar as he burned the fat of the fellowship offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement, a sacrifice to cover the sin, an atonement for the leader's sin, and he will be forgiven. Leviticus 9. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His sons handed him the blood, and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. The word blood occurs 65 times in the book of Leviticus alone. A book about how all the sacrifices should be done. Sacrifices required the shedding of blood. Even back in the book of Exodus, the book before Leviticus, Exodus 12, 12 through 13, I always think of that famous scene when Charlton Heston, I'm sorry, when Moses is standing in his house with all of his family and the Egyptian mother that had raised him comes in with her guards and the angel of death is slowly descending. Looks like a gas. But the angel of death is slowly descending into the land of Goshen and the land of Egypt. And so here's what God had said to Moses about that night. On, the same, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. They were to take blood of an animal and put it over the entrance to their house. And as it were, the people in this house were to be passed over, God says. The sacrifice of the firstborn of animals and people was not going to happen. God was not going to extract that punishment from houses that had that blood on the entranceway. Why is blood, why would red be associated with sacrifices and forgiveness? Why is that 
so important? I mean, 65 times in the book of Leviticus. Why? Well, look at Leviticus 17.11. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. You know, if you have a cut in the wrong spot, you won't be living very long when blood flows out of it. Blood is the, we even say the life blood, right? Blood is where life is. It's what keeps us alive. And so to show, I think, just how God views sin, God requires that blood to provide forgiveness. Why? I suspect this to show how awful and terrible sin is to a holy God, a God who cannot stand the presence of sin. You may think, well, it was only a bad choice. I mean, come on, everybody makes a bad choice. What's the big deal? And God is effectively saying it is a big deal. To be forgiven, to not have punishment fall on you requires blood. That's how big a deal it is to God. So I want to imagine again, Joseph going around with the coat in red. He would have seen sacrifices being made. He would have seen the blood. He almost certainly would have associated blood and red together. But there's a problem with these animal sacrifices. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse four, the writer of Hebrews says, but it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to really truly take away sins. He continues, he says, otherwise they wouldn't have made these sacrifices year after year after year. It's not something that the blood of bull and goats took away. It was to show how serious sin was in the Old Testament, but it's not the blood of bulls and goats that was going to take away sin. If it were, there was no reason for Jesus to come at all. God requires blood, but the blood of sacrifices of bulls and goats and things like that where it's not going to take away sin. Now what? Look at Romans 3, 24 through 26. God presented Christ. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. Remember we had read in the Old Testament, sacrifice of atonement. This will make atonement a sacrifice to pay the price for the sins of the leader. It said the leader would be forgiven, but not for good because he had to keep offering Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice over and over again. In Romans, Paul says God used Jesus. God brought Jesus as the sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. You and I weren't there when Jesus' blood was shed. We weren't there when that offering, as it were, Jesus offered his life for the forgiveness of sins. We receive that Sacrifice, we receive that forgiveness from that sacrifice. Paul says here by faith, some nearly 2,000 years later. He, God did this. God did this. God sent Jesus to die. God let Jesus be the sacrifice. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. God's the one who's righteous. In the same chapter, Paul says, there's none righteous. No, not one talking about us. There's only one righteous and that would be God. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, because of his, in his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. All those sins in the Old Testament, all those sins for the blood of bulls and goats, for they remembered them every year, really had not had punishment brought out upon them. God had left them unpunished because of his patience 
He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Through our faith, we see that sacrifice Jesus made, that perfect sacrifice, because it wasn't a bull, it wasn't a goat, it was the offering of the Son of God who lived a perfect life, who shed his blood on the cross. That's the blood that wipes away sins. And God used that event and that blood to justify, to put us into a right relationship with God, those who have faith, who understand what Jesus did. Then in Romans 5, 8 through 10, God demonstrates his own love for us. How does God show that he loves us? We're going to sing Jesus Loves Me later today at the Knowles Assisted Living Facility. He does. How does God show his love for us? While we were yet sinners, while I was a sinner, while, let me say this nicely, while you were a sinner, while we all were sinners, God sent his son, Christ Jesus, died for us. We weren't good people, and he came and covered up any small little thing we may still have needed to have taken care of. We were in rebellion to God, doing what we wanted to do, lost in our sins. And while we were in that state, God sent Jesus to die for us, to pay the price so we would not have to. Look at verse 9. Since we have now been justified, again, set into a right relationship with God, since we have become members of his family, since we have been forgiven by his blood, how much more we will be saved from God's wrath through him, through Jesus. The wrath of God is coming not on members of his family, but the Bible says on the sons of disobedience, the people who do not accept Jesus because they will not have been covered, as it were, by Jesus' blood. They would not have had the blood, remember this illustration from Exodus, the blood put over the door where the wrath of the angel of death passed over them. Members of God's family have been put into contact with that blood and God's wrath will pass over his children and unfortunately will come upon the sons and the children of disobedience. For if while we were God's enemies, did you know that you and I at one time had been enemies of God? When we were sinners, when we were living, doing what we wanted to do, I don't care what God wants, I'm gonna do what I wanna do. We were enemies with God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. God reconciled us to him. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. His death is what brought us back to God, enabled us to find our way back to God through his sacrifice, our faith in that sacrifice, and our turning of our, our lives around. We're going to have so much more safe situation of being saved through the life of Jesus having been resurrected. It took the blood of Jesus, that perfect sacrifice, to atone, to cover, to pay the price for our sins, and I'm very well aware, hope all of us are, for my sins. This is not some group thing, although it applies to all of us. I want each and every one of us to say those words in our head. It took the blood of Jesus to pay the price for my sins. If all the rest of you had somehow managed to live perfect lives so far at this point, 
I'd been the only one who had ever done something that God didn't want me to do, God would still have sent Jesus, as hard as it is for me to imagine, to die for me. Just me. It's, it, you might think, wow, this, that's a big sacrifice, but he, he saved the whole world. Eight billion people or something now. He would have come just for you by yourself. That's hard to, hard to imagine for me. Very hard to imagine. To cover our sins, my sins, and enable us to be forgiven. That blood was shed on the cross as Jesus was crucified. We read in the book of John, the Gospel of John 19. When they came to Jesus, he's still hanging on the cross. They found he was already dead, so they did not break his legs. Since the Sabbath was coming, sometimes if these individuals on the cross were hanging on, they would break the legs and make it impossible to really get your breath. Most people on the cross died of suffocation. They couldn't raise themselves up to breathe. So they were going to hurry him along. It came, he's already dead. No need to break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear. And John says, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, probably right into the heart, right under here. And John was an eyewitness. The man who saw this has given testimony. His testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may believe. John was there. He saw the spear go into the side of Jesus and saw blood and water come out. Look again at Hebrews 10. Their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. God doesn't remember the sins that have already been forgiven. Things you did before you became a member of God's family, before you believed, before you changed your life, fancy word, repented, before you were immersed and died your old ways and be raised to walk as a new person, God doesn't have any memory of those. If you're a member of God's family and you have done something wrong and you have prayed to God and said, God, I messed up, I sinned, please forgive me, God doesn't know what that was either because it's already erased, as it were, out of God's mind. And where these have been forgiven, notice this, where these sins have been forgiven, there's a sacrifice for sins no longer necessary. Why isn't Jesus coming and dying every year on a cross somewhere, just like they had to offer sacrifices in the Old Testament every year? Because Jesus' sacrifice was one time for all time. It provides real forgiveness of sins, unlike the way the animal sacrifices happened. They kept having to have the animal sacrifices. But the sacrifice of Jesus provides forgiveness for all through faith in him. So there's no need for any additional sacrifices. This uh, reference to those who have been forgiven, where these sins have been forgiven, that's us. That's you. If you're a member of God's family, that's me. If I'm a member of God's family, Jesus lived and died shedding his blood to take away our sins. God doesn't remember them. Jesus did it all. He did it all. One time for all time. And so as people around the world this morning are thinking of the resurrection of Jesus, my real question to you today is, he died for you. Can you live for him? If you're not a member of God's family, you need to die to the way you've been living first. You've got to understand that you're in a sinful situation that there's no blood, as it were, over your door, and that there's a bad future for those who are not members of God's family. You need
need to turn around your life, believe in Jesus, repent, turn around, and then die to your old self and be raised to walk in newness of life, Paul says in Romans 6. If you're a member of his family, but you've been kind of wandering away from where you need to be, God provides a way to have forgiveness by coming and praying with us. All of us pray together. We all need forgiveness. You too can be back on the way God wants you to be. He died for you. Can you live for him? Things to think about this morning as we stand and sing.